Coming up on Chasing the Natty, when starting up your college fantasy leagues, there's a whole host of different questions you have to answer. What teams are we going to include in the player pool? Should we do Dynasty, Keeper, or Redraft? Should we even use the auto substitution tool? We'll be breaking down all of our thoughts on all of these debates, and in addition to that, spring camps are fully underway and we have news and notes from 10 different teams that we'll be covering today. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the outside drop down for Franklin! Oh, majestic! Touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys have a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. As always, we have our wonderful co-host with us. We have Mr. Nate Marquise. Nate, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great, dude. I'm uh, been scouring the 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 boards here for some spring info, so I'm I'm happy to be back on and discuss some of that uh, again with you this uh, this you know, on this episode, because man, it is in full, you know, full force right now with some of these spring camps. So I'm loving it. It's a lot of good information that's popping out there. I would say full, absolutely full force everywhere. It's hard. It's hard to keep up with it. But if you want to know great strategies on how to keep up with all that, go listen to last week's episode. We got our (laughs) own great topics here today to talk about. Again, we're in C to C, at C to C, we're all kind of doing some back to basic stuff going on right now last week like i said we talked about like research strategies i thought that a lot of you guys responded very positively to that so i'm glad that that worked out well but today we're gonna go and talk about some different common debates that happen when you're setting up your cff leagues different rule changes different debates that even all of us in the cff space all of us experts we go back and forth on all the time on in terms of what's the ideal way to set up your college fantasy leagues so we're going to touch on a couple of those topics today and like nate said Spring camps are in full, full force, so we got 10 different camps that we'll be going to today. I'm sure we'll probably sprinkle in one or two other things here and there, but it got a full, full show for you guys today. So let's get pretty much right onto it, but first, you guys know what I got to do. I got to give you guys my spiel. If you guys want to support what we are doing over here for College Fantasy, make sure you go over and subscribe to campusofcanton.com where we have all of our written content tools and everything you need for your CFF, C2C, and Devi Fantasy needs. Got a tons, tons and tons of great stuff you're going, going, excuse me, coming your way. Uh, I actually just got a little sneak peek at a new tool that we will be putting out in the next couple of months. So definitely, definitely got some exciting stuff. In addition to subscribing over there, make sure you're following myself on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. You can also follow the show's account at Chasing the Natty on Twitter. Make sure you also follow Mr. Dear Nate at CFF Nate. Nate has been putting out some incredible content recently. His coaching change articles 
are quite literally the Bible of CFF right now if you want to catch up on all the changes going on right now. In addition to all this, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Love interacting with you guys on here. We do have a goal of hitting 1,000 subscribers by the start of the season, so if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and help us out with that. really means a lot. And if you're on the podcast, make sure you're following us wherever you're listening. And if you can, leave those five-star written reviews. Love, love hearing from you guys down there, and that is a great way for you to be heard in terms of what you think the show could be doing better. So don't be shy. Talk to me there. With that being said, Nate, I think we can pretty much get right on into the thick of it here for the show. And like I said, we're going to start with some of these CFF rules, debates, whatever you want to call them in college fantasy. And the first one we'll talk about here is the player pool. One thing that makes college fantasy unique compared to the NFL is that you actually have some choices when it comes to which teams you include and don't include in your leagues. On the screen here, I have full FBS or Power 5 only. Those are typically the two settings that you typically go with. Maybe you do Power 5 only plus AAC, stuff like that. But it kind of helps some people to have a smaller player pool. But again, I'll make my point on this in a second. I think there's a case to be made that full FBS is actually better for people getting into it because of just how many different ways you can go with your team. But Nate, I want to get your initial thoughts on this what what are your thoughts when it comes to which teams you should include for your college fantasy leagues? For me, I mean, I I enjoy both styles, to be honest with you. I, I play in leagues that are full FBS. I play in leagues that are P5 only. Um, I know that the, you know, P5 only leagues back when, I think it was Yahoo a couple of years ago, started a, um, you know, basically a, a the opportunity to play CFF through their site and they only offered P5 and it got beat up pretty good by <laughs> a lot of us in, in the industry um, because they didn't offer the G5 side of things. And, you know, but part of me also knows that, man, it's, it's, you know, it, it is what makes it unique in college fantasy football is that you do have all these options. The rosters can be so deep and, and there's that quantity of schools. But I do think P5 only is a good gateway. You know, it's a good gateway league format to get people in the door into expanding what we discuss here and what we enjoy playing and that type of thing. So I think there's definitely some value there. But 133, 133 teams can be really intimidating if you just come from what i think it's 32 in the nfl so yep. i mean that's a that's a big jump and if you think about it, p5 only now once we've added in some of these other programs like byu and ucf and stuff like that i think it's like 68 or 69 teams now yeah so it's still that's still a lot of teams but yeah i i like both ways honestly but i also understand not everybody's got time to research the tight end room at san jose state or the wide receiver wide receiver three at east carolina so you know and that's that's where we come in and we can help with a lot of that, obviously our site. Yes. And there's, there's other sites out there that can too, but um, I just, I still think there's some serious value when it comes to P five only is as far as being a starter league. And then on down the road, those leagues, you know, once people kind of get used to it and, and, and are familiar with it, then Expand. they can discuss, they, yeah, they can discuss expanding. And, and I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. So I'll play a little devil's advocate here. Cause this is actually a thought that I have. Cause I am, in a way, like a CFF purist. Like, if you're going to play college fantasy, you should include all the college football teams, at least in the FBS. Again, obviously, FCS, when you get down to Division II and stuff like that, that's just hard to find those stats. It's like there's not really a central place you can get all of that. 
but I would argue that full FBS might also be helpful to newcomers because I've found in power five leagues, the draft matters a lot more. And if you're a new player into college fantasy, it is so easy for you to mess up a power five only draft. And there just not really be a ton, like not even nearly as many options off the waiver wire throughout the season Versus if you're playing in a full FBS league, again, like you said, there's 133 teams. So there's going to be tons of players, especially at the G5 level, that slip through the cracks, that explode during the season. And if you're a new player, that gives you a lot more opportunities to kind of fix your team as the season goes along if you didn't really draft very well. Because, I again, there's nothing, I would say, more discouraging than being a new player, having a bad team to start the year, and then not really having a good way to fix it throughout the rest of the season definitely doesn't make the doesn't make the experience super fun. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, I mean, I get what you're saying. That that definitely makes sense. I will say that I I still feel like because in my P5 only league, I, I still feel like there's there's plenty of work that can be done on the waiver wire throughout the season. Um, so yes and no, I, I can I can definitely see your point. Um, it's just, I would say lots of times it's just difficult to get people that haven't played CFF uh, to jump in to that, like I said, that 133 yeah. team pool, uh, just because they don't have a clue lots of times. So it's a it's a big advantage for those that do pay a lot of attention to some of those smaller schools to know kind of what direction to go in their drafts with those G5 teams. If somebody hasn't really followed, you know, the Mac, you know, Miami, Ohio and Ball State and some of those teams, you know, yeah. they just lack the familiarity with it. But yeah, I, I get from a purist standpoint why you want to include um, those programs because we spend so much time researching them and and enjoy, uh, you know, having the option to play those guys. It also just, again, part of what makes college fantasy so much fun to me is that it is a gateway for me to learn about so many players that I never would have heard of before without right. college fantasy. Like again, I would not be paying to UA or uh yeah, UAB. Like I wouldn't be paying attention to their running backs year after year if I wasn't playing college fantasy. I would I would probably never watch one of their games. Most of the Mac games, I'd be like, "Okay, I might turn it on just for some entertainment, kind of like I do with the XFL. If it's on, I'll watch it." But Otherwise, I wouldn't ever think about it. But now, because of college fantasy, I am constantly looking at these teams, love watching them, love seeing these stories uh, that really just don't ever get talked about by the mainstream. I mean, I would, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, I would say probably most of our listeners do play in full FBS leagues. You I, know, would agree. I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's challenging sometimes to get information from some of those Mac and, and Sunbelt programs. And, and so I think that's part of you know, why people probably listen to us because we we do provide a lot of that information there. We try to yep. dig and, and and scrape the barrel as much as we can for some of that stuff. So most of them probably do play for play full FBS. But um yeah, I just I still think that there's some value in in P five only as far as being, like I said, that kind of gateway league format. And to be fair with all of this, there's no real right answer here. If you got a right. group of buddies and a the thing you like, you guys just love Midwestern football. So you want to create a college fantasy league that is uh, Big Ten and MAC, and then right. like CUSA, and you just yeah. want just those three conferences. That's great. You guys do you. You do what is good for your you and your group. 
do what is good for getting other people involved with it. If that's all you guys care about, that's great. Do it. I do conference only best balls every single year. And yeah. in those leagues, I have several people who only want to get into the Big Ten one every year because it's all they pay attention to. I got several SEC guys that only pay to SEC football and they're like, Give me, get me in the SEC fo- uh, best ball. I'm like, that works. It's great. It's all about that strategy. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Let's move on to the next one here. The next, another big question that you typically have is, well, what what kind of league do we do? Do we do redraft? Do we do keeper? Or do we do dynasty? And some some of you might be listening and say, like, well, this isn't really just like a CFF question. This is like something you have to decide in the NFL as well. To me, there's a bigger difference sometimes between like again cff dynasty is very different than nfl dynasty because of just the fact that these kids are limited in how many years that they can even be in school so you got so much more roster turnover year after year until covid until covid and then until covid now now they've now they've played nine years like uh cam mccormick out of my (laughs) exactly exactly but nate i'll start with you here i know that you have kind of a unique position here compared to a lot of people. You are a big fan of keeper leagues. That is I where am. that is where your that that is where you do all of or most of your leagues for the most part. I played in all three. I enjoy all three, but I want I want to hear from you first. Why do you enjoy keeper leagues so much? I enjoy keeper leagues because I think it is so for those of you that don't know, keeper league is basically a hybrid of the two. You it, it is a dynasty league, but you are limited into how many keepers you can keep. So a lot of keeper leagues vary from you know three to ten players that you can keep. Um I like that because I think that there is that element of dynasty and you can see how you can build your team for the future and and see how your team performs year after year with some holdover players, but it also the draft still remains kind of the foundation of the league mm-hmm. each year. Whereas in dynasty, it's a supplemental draft, especially if you're playing in a deeper dynasty beyond like 12, 12 owners. I mean, it's, it can be pretty thin sometimes um, from year to year. If you're just working the freshman and I will say it has changed a little bit lately because so many players are moving to from FCS to FBS. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of helped the draft pool a little bit more in dynasty. Um, but for the most part, it, it, you know, your original startup dynasty draft is huge in a dynasty league, and then it's less important with the supplementals. So for me, I that's why I probably prefer keeper. Um, I, I I enjoy dynasty as well too. I play that as well. I don't play a ton of honestly a ton of redraft leagues. I usually I usually will best ball it up. You know, throughout the throughout the summer. <laughs> And then focus mostly on keeper and dynasty throughout the season. I don't play a ton of redraft, to be honest with you. I mean, most people who are probably listening to this play mostly redraft because that's just the most common fantasy yeah. uh, type of league, period, NFL and college. That's just where people kind of go to first. It's like, all right, get a fresh start every single year. The draft's important. It keeps the draft important. But like, in co- like we've said earlier with college fantasy, there's plenty of opportunity off the waiver wire, even more so than an NFL. So people, again, they like the fresh start. They like, um, uh, they like the flexibility with that. When it comes to keeper leagues, to go back to your point, Nate, I maybe I just need to try a different type of keeper league. I've been in a couple of keeper leagues, and I enjoy them for the most part because I, I just enjoy the college fantasy sport in general. But 
I guess I'm not a big fan of keeper leagues where you're only supposed to keep like three or four players every year mm-hmm. because then it feels a little almost too close to redraft, I guess. Like too many players get back into the draft every year. I kind of like the in-between where like, here's what I'll give keeper leagues. It makes it a lot easier on the commissioner when it comes to roster settings during the offseason. Because in Dynasty, a lot of times what you'll have to do when the supplemental draft comes around, you have to almost expand the roster limits for a certain number of certain amount of time so that people can use all their picks in the supplemental draft and then they have to cut them down later. It's a pain in the butt as yeah. a commissioner to deal yeah, with versus keeper. You just kind of tell them like, all right, everybody needs to have a certain number of players before the draft. And then you just draft from there. Right. So I get that. I'd almost like what I'm doing. Like, again, I know keeper is a hybrid of redraft and dynasty. I'd almost probably would prefer a hybrid between keeper and dynasty where you have like you keep like 10 15 players from mm-hmm. last year's team but you don't have to go through the whole thing of like keeping every single player you still have to make those decisions like you did in a keeper league does that make sense yeah i think especially since we've talked about g5 or full fbs versus p5 only i think if you are playing as far as a full fbs league um and you i think kind of what you're talking about keeping you know 10 12 players probably is is a good number, but you still have some, you know, importance that that can be had with the draft there too. So yeah. I think I think that's a pretty good balance. Um, that'd be it'd be pretty challenging if you were doing like a P five only keeper and you're keeping you know like 10, 12, 15 players. You know mm-hmm. the the drafts in pretty much uh, diluted anyway. So, but yeah, no, I think that's I think that's good. Um, I, I encourage anybody that that just plays redraft only try to find a keeper dynasty league man that's yeah. that's where that's where it really gets I mean that's where it really gets fun and you're really having to um, place a lot of emphasis in your strategy and and your waiver wires of okay am I taking this guy because I want him to to be a really important player for me now and I need those points now or am I gonna use this waiver move on you know, somebody that I'm looking for in the future. Um, so I think that's where the the real debate comes internally and, and the strategy is involved once you get into that format of, of fantasy football. If you're going to go into a full dynasty league, I would recommend you only get into one your first year because yeah, you, you, you don't realize how much thinking you have to do with just that one league. And then you can gauge whether or not you want to get into more the year after. I know some people are in like 20, 30 fantasy that leagues blows, every year it blo- blows it, my mind i don't do know you, how they do it i don't know how I they do it especially I, I especially some of that our, many leagues especially some of our guys over on the c2c side like they play in an absurd number of those leagues and i'm just like guys you're 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 hurting they, yourself a little bit they can't keep up with the waivers it's just you know they're it's missed opportunities i feel like in most of those leagues and they don't pay attention to half of them so yeah it always blows my mind yeah everybody's in a league with with somebody you know at least one or two players that the owners that are basically absent, uh, but they re-sign up every yeah. year because they love being in, in 25 leagues for some reason. So it always blows my mind. But hey, if that's you, do you, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Nate, you've made one interesting point I kind of want to go back to. I, I, I've kind of been jostling it back and forth in my head. You said with like one of the reasons why you're not as big of a fan of CFF Dynasty Leagues compared to Keeper Leagues is because almost too much emphasis is put on that initial draft and then the supplemental drafts aren't as important year after year. And you kind of compared it to an NFL dynasty league. Two two points kind of came up into in in my head there. One, I talked about it earlier. The amount of roster turnover in college fantasy does, in my opinion, 
make it to that kind of adds to the supplemental draft every year because again you're losing so many players on a year-to-year basis and you can just refill in the supplemental draft but the other part of it is that freshmen especially aren't nearly as relevant as quickly as rookies are in the NFL. Rookies, you get first-round draft capital. You're more than likely getting somebody who's going to be in the starting lineup for that NFL team by the time the fall comes around unless something crazy happens. Freshmen, you can get guys in the first round of a CFF draft that you're just... you're praying they might have an impact year one and more than likely you're trying to build on for year two right so again it's i don't i'm not saying you're right or wrong it's just something that i kind of jostle back in my head it's an interesting discussion there yeah it's you know i i like drafts like i said i i I do i do prefer the keeper drafts where they you are drafting guys that you expect to be starters you know, from that draft. Whereas lots of times, yeah, in dynasty drafts, you're really looking to, to, you know, one, maybe sometimes even two years ahead uh, and hoping that that guy pans out. It's wild, man. Dynasty, dynasty rosters or dynasty plays just so much more different today with how much um, player movement there is now, you know, you get, you get a guy that, that you are lots of times I know in the past I've avoided, you know, let's say a really talented player that goes to Wisconsin or Iowa or wherever, right? Or somebody that's going to be just buried on the Alabama depth chart. But you know what? A year later, that guy may be in a perfect situation at Houston or UCF or wherever. And it's it's just like, oh, crap. I really wish I would have drafted that guy now. I I should have gone with the talent over system. Uh, That's almost what things are developing in, in Dynasty now because of the free transfer so guys are just bouncing around everywhere and, and they're looking to play somewhere immediately you know well another part of that is i think that these supplemental players like the non-freshmen i think are going to start being pushed up more and more on those supplemental drafts because again like you said you it's harder and harder to predict what somebody looks like one to two years down the line so yeah. just draft for this year and so that's going to make the supplemental guys a lot more impactful in my opinion so yeah, yeah. we'll see. Again, interesting convo. We're going to have a whole month later on this offseason dedicated to CFF Dynasty and Keeper Talk. So we'll just move on from there. As with all these de- debates, pretty much, you guys do you. We only have really suggestions and our thoughts on each one. But go out and enjoy it in your own way. Next debate we have up here, Nate. Roster depth. I think, that, again, once again, somebody's probably screaming at me. And you're like, Jared, this is a question every fantasy league has to deal with. But... What makes college fantasy different than like NFL? I think it's that you have to have a larger starting roster in college fantasy than you would on the NFL side. Like two QBs is minimum. There's there's nobody I know that consistently plays in single QB college fantasy leagues. I know a ton of leagues and a lot of leagues I start now pretty much have three running back spots because again, there's just so many players and you want to try to suck up that depth of the player pool to where there's just not clearly studs on the waiver wire every single week. And I think a great place to do that is to have a good size starting roster as well as a deep bench. I am not a big fan of, I've played in a few leagues where you have less bench spots than you Mm -hmm. do starting rosters. And I'm sorry, like to me, that's not very fun. I don't like the idea of having to drop guys that I know are studs every single week especially once the bye weeks get around i don't like having to make those decisions i like i should be able to have enough roster spots that i should keep the guys that i want 
during those bye weeks like does that make sense makes total sense yeah i i am 100 with you i if you are playing in a one QB league, um, it's not 1995. It's time to get with the times. Um, you two two QBs minimum. I'm I'm 100 with you. It makes it makes the strategy so much better. It makes the competition better. Um, and and anything else, I don't really have a strong opinion on as far as roster configuration, except for I am with you in that deeper is usually better when it comes to the number of players on your starting lineup and really the number of players on your bench. I don't love the idea when you've got guys, you know, wide receivers averaging 18 points a game that'll, they're still out there on the waiver wire in some of these leagues because they're only, you know, they're only starting like seven or eight players and they only have like five or six players on the bench. Like that's crazy. There shouldn't yep. be, there shouldn't be league winning type players <laughs> still out there, um, you know, halfway through the season because there's just, you know, not enough roster room for them. So yeah, I, I would say uh, just like we talked about, there's 133 teams or if you're in P5 only, there's still 68 plus teams make these, make these pretty deep rosters. It makes it a yeah. lot more fun. makes it more challenging. I would say at a minimum, 20 rounds for your draft yep. like to have 20 roster spots i i think that's a bare minimum i personally would go deeper but that's kind of where that point comes where yeah you might have one or two people that are on the waiver wire each week that are just like obvious gets but for the most part everybody that's like super valuable is on somebody's roster by like a quarter of the way through the season um that's what I would say there. And again, like we already touched on the bench players. I don't think there's really much else to talk about there because we're pretty much in sync here, Nate. If any of you guys have thoughts out there and disagree with Nate and I, you love the super shallow leagues and everything, please let me know. I want to hear it down in the comments or just DM me on Twitter. I'd be interested to hear your argument. Last one we'll talk about here. This one was quite the subject of debate last year, and I thought it was it's good to bring it back up here. And that is the auto substitution tool on Fantrax. For those of you who don't know what I am talking about, one of the biggest problems that we face in college fantasy on a pretty regular basis is players that are just out of the game. We had no clue that they were going to be taken out, whether it's injury, whether it's something else. Coaches are not required in college fantasy or just college football in general to update on who will play in the game and who will not that leads to a lot of people starting studs like true studs in starting spots and they get a big fat zero because we had no idea that they weren't in the game so what fantrax has put out recently is the auto substitution tool this allows you in two different ways to auto sub those guys that just out of nowhere did not play one option is to just take the guy from the same position from your bench that has the highest fantasy score and put it in your starting lineup. The other one is to basically have like a backup list. You set the like the priority order before the week starts on who is on your bench. You number them, I think, one to nine, and whichever player fits that roster spot, like they have that eligibility, that is the highest on that order will replace that player. I hope I explained that pretty well. There's a lot of debate around this. Um, I know, Nate, that you were hesitant to adopt this in your leagues last year. I have a feeling, I I believe that you are still probably not adopting this for your leagues this year. What are are your hesitations with this tool? Um, It's... 
honestly, it still does. It's not the the tool itself that's my hesitation. It's just college football is wild, and there's constantly things happening with rosters, and coaches refuse to give information out on it. And uh, there's no regulatory, you know, there, coaches aren't required to give out any information, so they don't. I don't blame them for that. Um, and I just avoid it all. So I just, I still continue to use the, you know, best ball scoring format in my leagues. And I play mostly in just best ball scoring formats so that I don't, I don't have to deal with it. My, my Saturday mornings are crazy enough with a three-year-old. Um, so I, uh, uh, I don't, I don't like having to scour the, uh, the interwebs trying to figure out who's, who's doing what and who gets suspended and who's got a pulled hammy, you know, that type of thing. But yeah. I, I understand and I, I totally get it with the uh, the auto substitution. And I I do think that if you if you are um, still playing in a format, you know, like most people where you are having to determine your starting lineups for the day, I I would I would 100 percent use the auto sub auto sub uh, feature if I were if I were playing in those. Yeah. And when it comes to the two options, like I mentioned, they have like the priority list or they just take the highest player. Guys, if you're going to use the one that where you just take the highest player, just do what Nate does and play in a best ball like format yeah. that allows transactions because that doesn't that doesn't really make any sense. Uh, to me, that's much easier to abuse than the other one where like I like as much as much as it frustrates me sometimes when I make a stupid decision in terms of who I start for the week, I like still having control over who is on my starting roster each week because then at that point i can't blame it on luck i can just blame it on my it was my decision at the end of the day to put that player in my starting lineup and when you use the priority list in order to kind of set the order of who's going to get subbed in to me it still adds that level of control for the fantasy manager to have with the rest of their roster that way again it's not based on luck you don't get um, if you're facing somebody and they get an auto sub and all of a sudden a 30 point guy comes off the bench because th it was just automatically the highest point guy off their bench, that sucks. But right. it's a lot better feeling when you know that, okay, they set that as their highest person. That's a little bit of skill involved. They knew that like that should be their next guy up if something were to go wrong. So that's kind of how I feel on it. You had something to say? I was just going to say, I'm with you there. Uh, if you're, if you are going to do that, that feature, then I, I agree with you, then might as well uh, set the priority list and, and have it, have it done that way. That seems like the better way to go. The one thing I personally do not like about this tool, and this is something I'm trying to get changed with fan tracks is that they basically make it to where you, the, the first game of this, of the week is when the priority list locks in, yeah, which is tough. terrible in the later weeks of the season when you have Maction mm -hmm. going on and you have games going on at Tuesday at 8.30 when you a lot of leagues just had their waiver wire that morning. There's a lot of people who just don't have time to turn around from their waiver wire yeah. to setting their lineup basically for the week. Like you're setting it for the week and then obviously college football, things change throughout the week. I'm trying to get them to change to where the... Um, the commissioners will have the option to change what that lock-in time is. Or in my opinion, they should do the same thing they do with players when they are... Like, if a player plays on Tuesday, you can't put that player in your starting lineup anymore. They're locked in on your bench or they're locked in in your starting roster. 
Same thing should be happening with the priority list, in my opinion. You can change everybody else's priority list, but yeah. that player can't be changed anymore. That's just my opinion. Again, there's probably still ways to abuse it and think, and we'll have all that debates and everything. But that's at least what I'm advocating for this offseason. We'll see if that happens. All righty, Nate. Let's go on to the meat and potatoes of this show that we're finally getting to about a third of the way into this. Um, let's talk about spring camps beginning this week. Again, I got up on the screen. Um, all the teams that are getting started this week, Tuesday's just absolutely nuts. You got, let's see, like 14 different teams that are getting, uh, no, not, yeah, 14 different teams getting started on Tuesday. Um, looking at this list of teams here, Nate, what are some that you are looking forward to seeing? I am probably three of them stand out all of them really because of the wide receiver room. That's Utah state, Eastern Carolina and old dominion. Um, all three of those programs had quite a bit of attrition with their wide receiver rooms. Uh, and all three of those programs, well, at least Utah state and uh, ECU have a history of being productive from that position. Um, old dominion's got a new offensive coordinator that uh, intrigues me a little bit. So uh, I'm kind of curious what, their you know what what their depth chart is potentially going to look like but uh the nice thing about utah state is is that uh that coaching staff actually gives the reporters and the fans pretty good access uh, yes, throughout sir. the spring I, I, I remember they uh they uh you could watch a lot of the spring game and uh, quite a bit of information from the spring practices could be had so uh, that's one that that stands out and and ecu obviously they lost a ton from their wide receiver room so those are probably the three that stand out the most to me. What about you? Uh, I was going to say East Carolina, but you stole that one from me. I, I'm very interested to see who steps up there. Pretty much everybody in like every position on the offense is getting somebody new. Mason Garcia, probably right. your QB one there. Marlon mm -hmm. Gunn, Rajay Harris, one of those guys probably going to be the number one running back there. Um, but Jalen Johnson, uh, Cy Hatfield, uh, Josiah, Cy, I'm not sure. Like you would think those are the guys to step up a wide receiver, but I'm interested to see like who the major uh who the major guys that come out of that are. Penn State's another one that's interesting to me. A lot of great expectations there. This year, Drew Aller, five star quarterback, gonna be the starter there. Nicholas Singleton, Katron Allen, a lot of guys stepping up finally. They bring in Dante Cephas, wide receiver room. Has all the pieces to be a great offense. I'm curious to see if they can start putting it together. Very under the radar one here, but again, FAU. I want to see what Tom Herman starts getting done over there with the Owls. That should be a pretty fun one. Any yeah. other ones here? Oh, uh, Wake Forest. I, I want to. I want to see is Jamal Banks kind of taking mm -hmm. over at that exposition. That's pretty much all I care right there. Yep, I'm with you. Yeah, both Wake Forest and South Alabama, as far as yep what what their wide receiver room is going to look like as well too. So yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely some interesting ones to to get kicked off this week. Yeah, South Alabama is really interesting because there's a wide gap between Devin Voison and then Colin Lacey uh, in terms of their ADP right now. If Colin Lacey starts to make some noise over there, that could be an interesting shift over the next couple of weeks. We'll see. But let's get deeper into some of these spring notes that have for teams that have already started. Uh, we'll start off here with BYU. These are in no particular order. I know we're starting off with Bs. That makes it seem like we're going to alphabetical order. We're not. This is just completely random order. So let's talk about what we're kind of hearing from the Cougars over here. First of all, again, they bring in a ton of transfers. Keaton Slovis, Aiden Robbins. Aiden Robbins out for the spring with an offseason 
injury to or offseason surgery excuse me to his injured hands a lot of us were kind of expecting him to come in there maybe he's that next great BYU running back over there but that's going to be a little bit harder when he is not there in the spring participating although clearly the coaching staff is pretty high on him in terms of the other running backs in that room Rapati, Miles Davis they're both kind of showing off a little bit the one that is the most interesting to me Soljay Mayava Peters. I was trying to make sure. Nailed it. Nailed it. That was good. Mayava Peters, the quarterback for their bowl game against um, against SMU, has switched to running back. And during that bowl game, wasn't a great passer. Only passed about 12 times. I think he hit about 47 yards. Uh, he did all the damage with his legs. 14 carries, 96 yards, and a touchdown. He's making the full-time switch over to running back. Basically giving the job to Keaton Slovis. He is somebody I'm going to keep an eye on. That's a very interesting switch right there. Nate, what are your thoughts on the QB and running back situation for BYU? Uh, it makes sense that Sol J transitioned to running back because that dude couldn't throw. So I totally <laughs> I totally get that. Um, yeah, he's he's a little interesting. I mean, he was already listed at 6'1", 200. They said he's put on some really good weight this offseason as he transitions to running back. So I don't know. I mean, that could put it's him a really good know, size. close to 210, 215. So um yeah, I mean it's it is a program that has uh, featured a workhorse running back, so we definitely have to pay attention to it. My problem is is that I do think that there's probably too many mouths to feed here, um, with Robbins coming into the mix as well too. I, I'm I'm pretty down on Robbins compared to where a lot of people feel he is. I just don't know that he's going to separate and win that job. I do think Miles Davis is solid. Um, I think Sol J is solid. So I just, I don't know that we're going to see somebody push 200, 250 carries like we've seen at times at BYU. That's my concern. Yeah. And I think it's concern is very valid considering that Robbins is going as the RB 24 in drafts, usually going around the fifth round. It's a little steep in my opinion, as much as yeah. I, I, I love the landing spot when Robbins first got here. But again, as things have gone along with him not being in spring camp, that definitely does kind of worry me. Shout out to CF Froton or Eric Froton here at CF Froton on Twitter. When he was at the NFL Combine, he talked to Puka Nasua and asked, "Who is up next in terms of the outside role at BYU that we have kind of come to love over there?" And Nasua name dropped both Chase Roberts and Keanu Hill. As far as I'm concerned, those are the two guys you need to be taking shots on in your drafts. And considering BYU is moving over to the Big 12, they're not going to have nearly as soft of a schedule as yep. they've had in recent years. I think they're going to have to throw the ball a ton in order with to get with, with the game script. So I think that that honestly might be the better way to invest with this offense. Again, I love Robbins. I love uh, Miava. Dang it. I, 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 tried, I tried to do it casually, and I just... Soljay. Maiava Peters... Soljay, um, I like those guys, but I think game script is going to take them out with several games. And I think that, honestly, probably Roberts and Keanu Hill are probably the better investment there. Your thoughts, Nate? No, I think that's a good call. I love that Froton was able to dig up that nugget whenever he was whenever he's there at the Combine. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's great information. And those are probably the guys that I would be targeting late in drafts. All right. Let's move on over to the ACC where we get some updates on the North Carolina Tar Heels. Nate, this update has to warm your heart with one of your guys right here. We kind of got a pretty good update on what the depth chart situation is, at least to start the spring. Obviously, these things can change as the spring moves along. But to start, 
We're looking at, obviously, Drake May, QB1. The running backs with Drake May were Elijah Green and Amari and Hampton. We'll see how that changes with British Brooks. Uh, coming back on the outside, you have Devontae Walker and surprisingly, I think to a lot of people, Gavin Blackwell. The Again, I told you guys, be careful with these guys who have been with the program already. Gavin Blackwell currently starting the opposite side of Walker. And then in the slot, not Nate McCollum, Kobe Pesor. Once again, don't underestimate the guys that have been around for a little while. And then at tight end, Bryson Nesbitt. And Bryson Nesbitt's been basically moved around all over the place. He's going to be that kind of hybrid athlete pass catcher that he was used as last year. And then the second team, Connor Harrell. George Petaway has been running pretty much as the sole back with the number two team. And then the, the receivers for the number two team, Andre Green Jr., uh, John Copenhagen, and in the slot, there you have Nate McCollum. So with, again, we talked about it kind of last week, Nate, when we talked about Devontae Walker. Does this kind of make you feel a little bit better about his ADP, knowing that he has come in here and he's pretty much grabbed one of these starting outside positions over guy a guy like Andre Green Jr., who had all the hype last year? Yeah, I mean, it makes me feel better. Um, I, like, you know, I'm, I'm an unabashed, just total... Tez Walker, you know, fanboy, no doubt. I I love I love his game. I uh, I picked him up everywhere when he was at K State, uh, Kent State last year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes me feel better. I still both the wide receiver room and the running back room. I think there's too many mouths to feed here, and I think there's too many mouths to feed with a terrible offensive coordinator hire that they made. So, um, it it still doesn't inspire me too much, but it is good to see that he has created some separation within the first week of, of showing up and practicing there. So clearly the staff uh, likes what they see from Tez Walker. And hopefully that means, and it probably does mean Drake may likes what he sees from Tez Walker. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, the running back position, it's a, I, I want to say that this kind of gives a little clarity, but let's be real again. They got British books coming back. I think yeah. this pretty much means that we're going to see Caleb Hood probably enter the transfer portal. Again, he's been banged up, injured, it's going to be hard for him to get back up that depth chart. I think he's, again, they got seven scholarship running backs on on roster right now. I unfortunately think that he will be the odd man out and we'll see him transfer. Maybe I'll, that'd be interesting. Maybe he goes to like a max school or something like that. That could be fun. Um, yeah, one last, go ahead. I would say it's a, it's a good running back room. There's a lot yeah. of good players there. If some of them, if one or two of them do transfer, then yeah, they, they should be on, they should be on our radar because I, I think it's a talented room. It's just, there's just too many of them. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. One last thing I'll kind of throw out here. This is something I, I just came across as a little nugget, nothing to do with fantasy whatsoever. I had no clue that Freddie kitchens is the tight end coach at UNC. Oh, nice. I, I, that, there's just a little fun, little nugget out there. Um, <laughs> Actually, one last thing. Again, I kind of mentioned you got Walker, Pesor. Pesor's value, I, already, I mentioned last week. Again, he's wide receiver 74, going to the 16th round. That could be some really nice value considering that he is in the slot that Josh Downs thrived in last year. And then again, Blackwell. Again, yes, I know, Nate. I, I can hear you screaming into the microphone right now. Uh, it's, yes, the it's, offensive not court, Phil Longo. it's not it's, Phil Longo's it's not slot Phil Long, anymore. It's not Phil Longo's <laughs> slot. It's not Phil Longo's slot. It's still Drake May, though. It's still Drake May. He's got it a ton is. of talent there, and yeah. they got a terrible defense. They're going to be passing all over the place. So, no again, I think, again, wide receiver 74, and then you got Blackwell, who's just straight up going undrafted. I'll take those shots. I'll take yeah. those shots, and if they don't work out, like, you can cut them real quick. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, when we're, when we're talking about, yeah, wide receiver, you know, plus 50, I mean, that's you're, yeah, you're, you're not too worried about it. You're not having to invest that much into it, but yeah, wide receiver seven, like we're talking about with Tez Walker. Now, now you're investing a second or third round pick. Yep. All right, let's move on. Let's go over to UAB. Like I said, completely random order. We're just like we're just going all over the wazoo here, y'all. It, it's funny, Nate. You mentioned last week when I talked about like UAB was something I was going to keep my eye on, and you're like, "Oh, good luck finding information out of them." They they they're doing well this spring. They got they some, are they got some good beat writers going on over there. So good on them. Pleasantly I, surprised at the amount of information that comes that's coming out of that program. Yeah, right after I I said that it's going to be impossible to find. Um, again, great great news all around. Um, I mentioned last week that if I start hearing Jermaine Brown starts emerging as a leader, he is going to be somebody I'm going to be start investing in a lot more. And guess what? He that's exactly what we got out of Coach Dilfer this week when they were asked about the running back room. But Nate. I got to change my tune a little bit here because there is an interesting, interesting name at UAB, and that is outside of Jermaine Brown Jr. Completely under the radar transfer here that I'm going to keep my eye on as the season kind of goes along here, and that is Demetrius Battle. Who is Demetrius Battle, you might say? He is a transfer from West Alabama University. In 2021, he ran for almost 1,000 yards, 16 touch, or 11 touchdowns, 16 catches, 96 yards. He's moving up to UAB. He is 6'2", 240 pounds, and he was mentioned in the same breath as Jermaine Brown Jr. was. I think this is a team that can support two top running backs and if this is who Dilfer is naming as his top two guys you have to keep an eye on battle moving forward here I, again he just has the better size than Jermaine Brown Jr. again he is pretty much what Dwayne McBride was for them last year in terms of the size again obviously probably a huge talent disparity here you got a guy coming up from probably division two football so again big jump there but I'm just saying keep an eye on that name so Nate your thoughts here you say 6'2", 240? Yes, 6'2", 240. That is a unit, man. That is... Uh, that's a big that's boy. Like, that's like uh, that's like Brock Bauer's size, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I mean, that's... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I my, my rankings are, are, are malleable. If I keep hearing information that Jermaine Brown is, is a standout there, um, then I, I'll certainly be flexible in moving him up. Um, I still have concerns because we don't really know what that offense is going to look like. And uh, that offensive line doesn't look to be in great shape. So, but um, that, you know, bottom line, if, if he's going to be a, a, you know, an every down back for them, then I, I will, I will be interested. I, I'm rooting for, for Trent Dilfer. I think he's, I think he's, uh, um, you know, as far as what I've seen video and, and listening to him, stuff like that, he's an easy, easy guy to root for. So I'm hoping they get it going there and UAB becomes a pretty fantasy relevant uh, program for us. Absolutely. Any other thoughts you might have on here? Again, got some good information, not, not too much on the offensive side of the ball and everything. Uh, we got, again, got a little bit of stuff on the running backs there. But in terms of wide receivers, quarterbacks, not really much to offer. You talked yeah. about the offensive line. It does sound like that they are making that a priority for them this offseason in terms of making sure that, that that position group is up to snuff, which, again, you have to. You lose so much off the offensive line. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. Let's move on over to 
Florida. And again, Jared, you're probably telling me, like, Jared, this is Florida. This is Billy Napier. Probably not a ton of fantasy relevance going on here. Well, that's because that's before y'all started drafting Trevor Etienne and Montreux Johnson in the top 20 rounds of your CFF draft. And I got to come in here and put some water on that fire with those guys. Again, relative fire. Again, 13th round and everything. But... Cam Carroll, the transfer coming in from Tulane, it sounds like is going to be another factor into this backfield. This is what Billy Napier does. He runs a committee. This feels like Chris Smith all over again last year when people were saying like, no, they're going to, they're going to move, or um, Billy Napier's gone. They're going to move away from the committee. No, that's what they do. The year before, Chris Smith, it was a full committee. Billy Napier likes his committees. He's brought in Cam Carroll. As much as I love the talent of Trevor Etienne, I'm personally just completely off of him for CFF. Again, he's not going to get the volume that you're going to want to get out of him. If anything, you'll be relying on touchdowns, which is a viable way to go in CFF, but like, I'd rather just not. So, Nate, your thoughts on the running back room at Florida? Well, I mean, the good thing is, is that they're no longer having to compete with Anthony Richardson's, you know, running uh, because, I mean, he, he's taking a sizable chunk of the rush volume there uh, at Florida last year. So they don't, they don't have to deal with that, but yeah, I mean, Billy Napier, when he says he'll play three running backs, he ain't lying. I mean, he's done it before. Um, And even back when they had uh, Elijah Mitchell over at, uh, at Louisiana and they had one other guy that was really good there. Trey Regis. Yeah. What, what happened? Chris Smith played a role. Um, The next, the next year when, uh, they had Chris Smith and Amani Bailey. What happened? Um, Montreal Johnson. Johnson, Montreal Johnson came in and and made that a three three headed uh, committee. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've taken him at his word. If Cam Carroll is showing out, then Cam Carroll is probably going to play. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's a little bit of a, a muddled backfield there. However, uh, he he's proven that he can support multiple, you know, eight hundred plus eight touchdown type running backs. But I, I think the ceiling is probably capped on these guys and, and you're not looking at 250 carries by any of them. And it's not even one of those things where you can draft them in a best ball and you're thinking to yourself like, oh, if one of these guys goes down, then yep. they are going to like all the volume is going to go to the other two guys. No, Napier will find a way to have <laughs> three guys in that rotation. Because again, that's just what he does. That's his philosophy. Yeah. You can um, handcuff two. You can't handcuff three, man. It's too, taking up too much roster spots. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, small little detail here. Again, a little dynasty talk here. Freshman Andy Jean is turning quite a few heads. I think part of that is them not having a ton of, to work with at the wide receiver position in general. But yeah. it is definitely something to keep an eye out for. And then the other nugget that I kind of picked up on it, it sounds like that Florida is not happy completely with who they have at um, not starting, but just the depth at different positions. They'll be adding quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends through the portal during the spring period, it sounds like. So makes sense. Um, they they need depth at all three of those positions. They're not very good at the starter spot in most of those positions, yeah. honestly. I think their tight end's not bad, but um, I, every camp report I've read, their wide receivers underperformed on that day, and um, I also heard that, you know, um, Graham Mertz looks okay, but Graham Mertz isn't going to set the world on fire, so you definitely need uh, a viable backup be, option for I, him. I was going to say, to be fair to Murray, it sounds like that they're not really looking for somebody that's going to start over him. It's just right. like definitely more of a depth deal. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens when you lose Rashada. So, yeah. sure. 
All right, let's go to Arkansas. Let's stay in the SEC here. Not really a ton to talk about here. Arkansas, though, I didn't really realize this until I kind of went back and looked at it. They're replacing quite a bit of receiver production. And so they're kind of having to overhaul that receiver room for the most part. It sounds like that Samuel Mbake and Jaden Wilson are the two that are kind of consistently running with the ones, the uh, slot position for the Razorbacks is kind of been going back and forth between two different guys there. And then you lose Trey Knox as well. So Arkansas has always been pretty good about getting their tight end some decent production. I'm not saying they're going to light the world on fire. Uh, and it looks like that Nathan Bax is the guy that is going to be consistently out there with the ones. They do run a lot of 12-man personnel, so kind of keep an eye out for Ty Washington as well. But it seems like that Bax is the guy that stays out there when they're not in 12 personnel as well. So, Nate, did you have anything to really add on Arkansas? Again, I'm just kind of bringing some news here. We can move on from this quickly if you don't. I just think it's interesting that um, Isaiah Sategna has still, you know, hasn't worked his way into the starting lineup here. He is I mean, one that, of the that... he, he's one of the two in the slot. Okay, all right. I was going to say, I mean, he, he was he was probably their um, most highly recruited wide receiver from that class from last year. So, um, yeah, so that's that's good for him, I guess. Only thing I saw from some of the camp reports, uh, this comes as a little bit of a surprise to me, is that Jacoby Criswell looked terrible from everything that I had read. He was overthrowing wide open touchdowns. He had an interception. He had a fumble. Uh, maybe it was just an off day for him on the the practice report I was reading. But um, it looks like he's he's having a, a little bit of a rough start to his time there in Fayetteville. Yeah, I mean, the good news for him is that he's got quite a bit of time to get some things figured out. I think for the Razorbacks, he's very much a next year play. Even Cade, such, Cade, such a terrible transfer i cannot I believe i i i just was gosh he's i thought he was too i thought he was i thought he was for sure gonna go somewhere where he would start i'm not sure about it either man but again i think he's a next year play kate fortin the grad transfer they they got from usf he's clearly their number two they're keeping him around for another year he's a very safe floor option if criswell were to kind of figure some of that stuff out that you were talking about nate I think he would could overtake Fortin as the number two, but for right now, I think it's Jefferson, Fortin. Both those guys leave after this year, and then it's Criswell's offense next year. Gotcha. So moving on from there, let's go talk about our first spring game of the season that we can really talk about. Again, Hawaii already had theirs, Bowling Green had theirs, but it, it was a little hard to find information on that. But God bless the Georgia State Panthers, man. I kind of wish I knew. I'll be real. Completely missed that this was happening this weekend. I probably would have made my way over to Atlanta to watch this in person if I had known. But lots of lots of great, great stuff here, Nate. I'm going to let you kind of take over here because you're the one that kind of brought this to all of our attention. What happened here? And some interesting names popping up here. Yeah, they, they had it open to the public. So you, you definitely could have gone and watched that game if you wanted to. But... Um, it looks like KZ Adams, uh, the redshirt freshman running back, kind of stole the show. He had uh, a total of 22 touches, 165 yards, and four touchdowns uh, in the uh, in, in the spring game. And so you're thinking, okay, he, you know, he got everything. He must have been the, the the only guy that that really stood out in that running back room. Nope, Marcus Carroll had 100 yards and two touchdowns as well too. So. They were interviewing Adams after the game, and he says that he thinks they're going to be uh, the new Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, which I thought was great because they're in Georgia. So yeah, I, I, uh, 
I caught, I caught the reference. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I figured. <laughs> and and clearly, uh, Adams would be the Michelle version of this. Uh, not yeah. that Michelle's small, but Adams is. I, I want to say he's like five eight, one seventy five. He's he's definitely more of a change of pace kind of guy. And um, and Carol's, uh, I want to say like two hundred five, two ten, something like that. So he's yeah, he's, he's definitely boy. the bigger back. They don't have – that's really as far as – I mean, they lost a lot in that running back room from last year. They're pretty much the only two guys there. They have three guys on roster right now, and then I think they'll have a couple of freshmen coming in. Maybe they add a transfer uh, now that their spring is wrapped up. But um, those are those are going to be probably the, the one-two punch there at Georgia State. Uh, we also learned that um, a Merrimack receiver transfer, Jakari Carter, had three catches for 72 yards and a touchdown. Uh, all of that coming from starting quarterback Darren Granger. So we know that Carter's running with the ones here. And he was named the outstanding newcomer uh, on offense for their spring practices. So just a name to kind of, um, you know, just kind of stash away for right now, because we know that this is at least an offense that can support a thousand yard receiver, which we yep. saw from Thrash last year, who transferred out to Louisville. So um just kind of a name to just kind of stash away and see what happens. And and maybe when fall camp rolls around, if we keep hearing more about him, somebody that you can uh, draft late in your in your drafts. I'm gonna probably do more than just stash away. Again, this is pretty much it looks like almost a one-to-one replacement for Thrash. They're again Georgia State over the last couple of years, maybe it takes a little while sometimes for them to get get to it later on in the season but eventually they find their number one guy and they kind of keep feeding him if carter is making this big of an impact this kind of early on i will definitely definitely be interested in him i guess i'm a little skeptical with the georgia state running back guys here again obviously you got if, if they can narrow it down to two that's great the big problem is you still have darren granger at quarterback and he ran 164 times last year so kind of like what you're talking about earlier with mm -hmm. florida that's a huge chunk of the running game that's just taken away by Granger right there. In fact, Granger led everybody in rushing yards last year, let alone rushing attempts. Yeah. And so I think that it kind of caps their ceiling just a little bit. But, you know, neither one of these guys are getting high draft capital right now in CFF draft. So why not take the shot near the end of it? Yeah. Yeah. I know that I know the staff likes both those guys quite a bit. So I would be. I would be surprised if if anybody else is really in that mix from from their running back room. All right, let's keep it going here. Let's go to Texas again, staying pretty much in the south over here. The big thing is on two fronts here. One, can we finally finally put to bed this idea that this is a competition between Ewers and Manning? It sounds like from all reports that this is truly Manning or uh, Manning's whoop slip of the tongue there this truly is yours job <laughs> um please stop taking arch manning in redrafts especially if you're not trying to handcuff like again manning is going in like the 19th round currently of redraft uh cff adp right now guys quit it it's not is it, i stop falling for the hype no this is Ewer's job. He, if he's going to lose it, he's going to lose it during the season. And Manning's currently going higher than guys like Colin Schley and Dante Moore. Those are the guys that you have to... I'm, okay. I, I'm just so fl flustered at the moment. My apologies, all of y'all. I, I love it, man. I love how much the media is going to lose their minds over the fact that a Manning is in the room at Texas 
with um, a no longer mulleted uh, Quinn Ewers. But man, I I just can't wait, especially since they have Alabama in I think week two. I can't wait till he overthrows Worthy again. And everybody, every every camera is on Manning in that next like twenty seconds. It's gonna be so good. As an OU fan, I just I, I can't was gonna wait say you you must love this as an OU is, fan. I can't wait for the circus that is going to ensue in Austin this year. Uh, anytime Quinn, Quinn yours is going to have to be uh, just damn near perfect in order for people not to constantly be asking him about this. If, if it were Arch Johnson that came in yep. and we're behind him with the exact same recruiting pedigree, nobody would think twice about it, but it's not, it's Arch Manning and it's well, going to be. Awesome. Let's be real, Nate. If his name was Arch Johnson, he wouldn't have the recruiting pedigree that he has. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. I, I, I highly doubt like riddle, riddle me this, Nate. How does how does Dylan Riola get dropped down to like the, the sixth overall player, but Arch Manning never moves from the number one spot in the twenty twenty three class? Blew blew my mind that they dropped Dylan Riola. Well, because because he's coming in and competing for a starting spot at Texas. Yeah, don't you know? Stepped on the campus. <laughs> yeah, don't 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 you know? Anyway, let's move on from that. Again, it's dumb. Stop drafting Manning in your redraft leagues, y'all. Unless again, if you want to if you want to handcuff. That's fine, but if you're drafting him thinking that, like, oh, I'm getting a deal in the Texas QB room here, don't, don't, stop it, y'all. Anyway, moving on from those guys, Jontae Cook Jr., impressing very, very early here, a lot of hype kind of building around him. I am skeptical that this is going to lead to production this year. Again, he'll get on the field, of course. It sounds like he's just that good, but first... Two fronts here. First of all, a lot of times when you hear the hype around freshmen when they first get onto spring camp and everything, that hype is built on a comparison to other freshmen when they first arrive on the campus. Jontae Cook Jr. probably looks really good compared to a lot of other receivers that are on that Texas roster How they, compared to how they looked when they arrived as freshmen. Cook is probably going to make an impact early here, but I think a lot of people are misinterpreting that comparison to, oh, he could be a starter by the time the season rolls around. Look at who Texas has over there. Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, Adonai Mitchell, Isaiah Nayor. That's a lot of names for him to climb. And he's currently expected to slot in at the X position. That puts him behind Worthy. I think that is the least likely person that he is going to be able to jump on the depth chart. I think that he is, in like a dynasty perspective, a must-own because I think after Worthy leaves this year, Cook will be that next guy up for Steve Sarkeesian. I think that is a great value right there. But in terms of redraft this year, I want people to kind of pump the brakes a little bit in terms of any kind of expectation for him to be, like to have a Worthy-type freshman year, if that makes any sense. Nate, your thoughts on the wide receiver room at Texas and Jonte Cook? I'm kind of buying the hype a little bit, so not to poo-poo everything you just said, but um, hey, Nate, you know, it's great when we poo-poo each other. It's, <laughs> it, the people love it. I mean, obviously, it'll catch your attention when when Austin is like, I think that there's a, a chance that Jonte Cook could lead this team in receiving. Um, you know, I mean, that's that'll that'll kind of you know make you make you think about it. But 
the the reports are pretty glowing uh about Jonte Cook. I mean, all the beat writers are basically saying, hey, they I, they're not going to be able to keep him off the field. So, but you're right. There are there's a lot of bodies to climb. Now, I have concerns about Isaiah Nayor um because he has not returned to the field yet from his uh ACL tear that he had last year. So, yep. um, you know, a little bit of a concern there that maybe he's just not going to be quite ready at the the start of the season. Um, but I could see a world in where um, Worthy, uh, Mitchell, and Cook are all out there on the field together. I know that at least Sarkeesian's time at Alabama, when he had all those great wide receivers, they were pretty much all interchangeable. They could play all three different positions on the field, um, and it was a way to get all of those guys out there at once. So that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me. And if he's on the field, I think he's talented enough to where he's going to make some plays for him. So am I drafting him in redraft? No, I mean it's it's still too early for that, um, but. Yeah, I mean this this kid clearly has some juice to him, and I'm I'm kind of interested. My apologies to everybody uh, who just heard a random notification on my computer. So sorry for your ears, but yeah, no, Nate, you you bring up a great point about how Steve Sarkeesian trains these receivers. Like you said, back at the time in Alabama, Devontae Smith during his incredible season, they lined him up everywhere. When he when right. he has these guys, he wants to get them out there in every which way that he can. If that means that A.D. Mitchell and Worthy are on the outside and you have to slot Cook into the slot for a little bit, he's going to do it because he wants his best three wide receivers out there in one way, shape, or form. It's a good point. I just want everybody to kind of just, again, pump the brakes just a little bit. I know this is that time of year where every glowing review means, oh, he's about to kill it by the time the season rolls around. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. One guy that we might have to start revving up the engine a little bit rather than pump the brakes compared to where I was two weeks ago, Jadon Blue sounds like that he is starting to kind of make a little bit of a reemergence here. A lot of great reviews from him coming out of the spring camp. Jonathan Brooks is out for spring. So I was talking about Brooks being the guy that I would invest in, but Jadon Blue, if he's getting these glowing reviews, he's got really good size, or he's a little bit lighter than I would want him to be. But again, like, I think he has the talent to be a potential workhorse back for Texas if he continues this momentum going forward. Again, we still got to see what we have out of Baxter. But Nate, are you feeling a little bit better about Blue now than you were a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I mean, I, I even said a couple weeks ago when we discussed him, I'm not ready to give up on him just because I think he's, I think he's pretty talented. Um, I, you know, it's it's a situation where we have to remember this guy didn't even play his senior year in high school. He sat out his entire senior year, so yep. makes makes sense that you know last year maybe didn't go as well as he would have liked. This is even though it wasn't an injury, he just didn't play the year before. So. Um, it's good to hear that he's trending in a good direction. I mean, I can't wait for the starting trio of Arch Manning, Jonte Cook, and and Jadon Blue next year. It's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. Next year, next year makes a lot of sense. No, no, next year is in this uh, this coming as, as in this fall. Yeah, as in this fall. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah you, make... you didn't hear. You didn't hear. That's the that's the three starters. That's the three. That's the three starters. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> Let's go to USC. Lord, I'm losing my mind over here. Um, so very similar story here compared to like in terms of what's coming out of Texas. A lot of the same stuff kind of coming over here with USC. Instead of Jonathan Cookville, you have Zachariah Branch. Glowing, glowing reviews coming out about him with his um, performance in camps so far. But I'm still going to put that same level of caution here. Once again, 
freshmen look good compared to other freshmen compared to how others in the starting roster looked when they looked as freshmen doesn't mean the same thing as he is be- he's looking better than the guys who are already there but dissimilar to cook looking at the starting guys that he has to climb there's a lot of names here obviously dorian singer taj washington brendan rice barrio williams he currently slots in ironically in the slot behind Mario Williams. I think there's a much better chance of him getting playing time to over, by overtaking Mario Williams in USC. And I do think there's a chance we could see Zachariah Branch be a starter for USC by the time the fall rolls around because I'm just not a big fan of Mario Williams for the most part. The problem is though, I don't think that that makes Branch really a CFF option for the most part because that slot position for Lincoln Riley has typically kind of been the kind of hit or miss um, position on the field. He typically, his outside guys tend to be a bit more consistent. Nate, your thoughts on Zachariah Branch in the USC wide receiver room? Uh, it's pretty interesting that you that you don't think Cook, you know, is going to probably be the starter, but you, you are on board with Branch. I kind of look at it the other way around. I, I do think that Branch has got of a little bit more challenging path to being a starter, but clearly the, the beat writers, again, very similar to cook have really been raving about how he looks in spring camp. So uh, I think the, the thing that I took from this the most is that with both lemon and branch being there in spring, they said lemon looks fine, but they can't stop talking about Zach Branch. So yeah. that's that's kind of the big takeaway for me. Whether he ends up starter or not this year, I, I'm not I'm not sure. I do think that um that it, he, probably not. Um that would man, that would be pretty sad for Mario Williams if he transferred, follows, follows his quarterback and his coach out there and loses his job uh, you know, a couple of years later um to a freshman. But um, but again, for me, the big takeaway branch is is getting all the hype and less talk so from from the beat writers about lemon yeah the other who was also a, who was also a high four five star you know wide receiver that's coming in in that same class yep the other kind of note that i picked up on is that it sounds like that lincoln riley is heavily heavily encouraging caleb williams to directly mentor malachi nelson i mean obviously there's a big difference between malachi nelson and miller moss i'm not saying this means that malachi is clearly the qb2 already and everything like that although if miller moss were to transfer out i would say that in instantly but it does kind of make it seem like that as far as lincoln riley is concerned this is the succession plan he wants caleb to kind of teach up malachi kind of help Malachi get over some early yips with fresh as a freshman and everything, which all freshmen have. This is not something specific to Nelson. But I think establishing that relationship really does kind of tell me that I know we have, Nate, you were discussing in our chat not too long ago, how you think that Nelson might be kind of being set up for failure here if Riola were to come in a year later. I think this is kind of signaling that Nelson is currently still the plan right now. So do you have any thoughts on that, Nate? Yeah, I mean, he should be the plan right now. Rayola is not on campus. He's not even committed to USC. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a perfect scenario. You've got a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback um, who's able to coach up a five-star QB. Um, not coach up, but, you know, tutor, mentor him, you know, and 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 be able to teach him kind of what, what this position 
you know, what goes into it and how he needs to perform. So yeah, it's a good setup. Caleb's the type of guy that will definitely do that. And I, I think that uh, it does bode very well for the future for Nelson. So yeah, and I, I'm not going to concern, I wouldn't be concerned about it until Rayola, you know, actually signs and shows up on campus. Then I would be a little concerned. No, makes sense. For those of you who don't know, Dylan Rayola, five-star number one quarterback coming in, in the 24 class. Yes. Yes, thank you for providing that context. Recent, recently crystal balled by just about everybody to USC. Yeah. Um, I, again, I'm I'm skeptical with that because, again, he's been crystal balled to pretty much every place that he visits after that visit. So it seems like that he's just kind of telling everybody after each visit, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go there. So we'll see. Why hasn't Miller Moss transferred? That's a great question. Legitimately great question. Lincoln I, Riley is so good at convincing backup quarterbacks that they have a chance. He is, he is unbelievable at that. Like the way he was able to keep Austin Kendall around and Tanner Mordecai through the spring and all this, just so that he could make it look like it's a competition. He's so good at convincing these guys that have no chance that they have a chance. There's no way that if he's giving Malachi Nelson, like this kind of preferential treatment in terms of like getting Caleb to like teach him up and everything. You'd have to think that Miller Moss is leaving after the spring, right? Like, if Malachi Nelson is, is even close to him as that QB two, like Moss has I to thought, read the writing on the wall. On the wall. I thought Miller Moss would leave the moment Caleb transferred in. I thought Miller Moss would leave the moment Caleb won a Heisman. I thought. Yeah, I keep thinking he's going to transfer, but there, there he is. I guess he. But I, I mean, it's it's SoCal. He's next to the beach. Maybe he just enjoys it there. Could be. Could be. All right, let's go and keep it in the Pac-12 here. I might as well have a button for this segment that is just Nate's voice saying over and over again, doesn't matter, they hired Spadaville. Doesn't matter, they hired Spadaville. Doesn't matter, they hired Spadaville. Over and over and over again. But we, once again, are getting some pretty good spring notes out of California from their beat writers over there. So let's talk about what they have to say. First of all, lots of great reviews coming in about transfer quarterback Sam Jackson over there. It sounds like that they do see him as an upgraded QB. His dual th- his ability to scramble in the pocket is something that a lot of them are excited for. The receiving weapons especially have been giving him a lot of props. Guys like Maven Jackson, Jeremiah Hunter, uh, the Illinois transfer Brian Hightower have, all have great things to say about him. But before people start going out and start drafting these guys for fantasy, I think that it is important to note that Jackson did say in an interview that with the way that Coach Spav's offenses, we're going to spread it around a lot. So therefore, don't be going and grabbing those receivers. If you are a believer in this offense, to which Nate will once again say, doesn't matter, that it is spatiful. Um, probably Jackson would be your best bet there in the passing game. The other thing I want to bring up here is, or actually, Nate, do you do you want any thoughts there besides the button saying doesn't matter? They hired Spadable. <laughs> um, my my only thoughts are I, I I expect that they would have pretty good reviews on Sam Jackson coming out of or you know early on here in spring camp. I he, there's he's one of two scholarship ro- uh, quarterbacks on roster. The other one is fernando mendoza if you haven't heard of him that's okay i don't know that cal has heard of him he was he's a redshirt freshman qb that was literally the lowest ranked uh player coming into their recruiting class last year so so it 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 doesn't surprise me that sam jackson's getting all the reps with the ones and and of course they're going to say he looks good they don't have any other options um it wouldn't surprise me if this is also a program that tries to bring in a transfer after the spring 
um just, just for have, depth just to have some depth yeah you can't you can't just especially when you have a quarterback that's gonna run um mm-hmm. you, you, yeah there's a chance he's not big uh there's a chance he could get banged up and and you can't go to fernando mendoza so no yeah that's 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 my only thoughts and and yes jake spavadal is still the uh, offensive coordinator there so draft yes. draft at your own risk risk to be fair though again like yes there's other reasons why he did well last time he was there at cal but like you know last time he was at cal he did have at least one good year over there so he's he's great when he has somebody like sonny dykes and somebody like uh dana holgerson to hold his hand actually yep yep when he's on his own it doesn't look so good but we'll see we'll see i will um that's a a great time for me to uh, promote the the Pac-12 coaching changes uh, um, article will be coming out soon, so you guys will get a full rundown on my thoughts on on Jake Spavadol. Oh yeah, there's probably a whole chapter dedicated to that. <laughs> um, other part of this, again, we've talked about this briefly before on the pod, Nate. Um, the running back room here. You have very big concerns about Jaden Ott and him repeating what he did last year. There's some points going towards that that I'll talk about here, but there's also points I think they're kind of going away with that. So first of all, I didn't realize this, but Cardwell, Byron Cardwell, the transfer from Oregon, he is in for the spring. He is there. He is practicing. But the other transfer they brought in that you mentioned before, Nate, Justin Williams Thomas, he's not going to be active in spring. He has not been enrolled yet. So I don't think he's going to be nearly as big of a factor in terms of a guy that could take away carries from Ott. The other part of it is I did not realize how much production or product or just how many bodies this running back room lost compared to last year. They lost Damian Moore, who is number three in carries. They lost to Carla Brooks, number two in carries. They lost a uh, street complete depth piece, didn't have any carries. But then they also lost Hayes, who is number five in carries. They had to bring in bodies. And so I think that kind of goes back to my point I made a couple weeks ago where I think that this is a little bit of a debt move, especially Justin Williams-Thomas. But I do think Cardwell is going to be a factor here. But in addition to that, Odd has stated he has a goal of reaching 1,000 rushing yards this year. Obviously, again, that can only mean so much. Every running back on the planet wants to get to 1,000 yards in a season. But at the same time, it still kind of gives me an indication that Ott, at the very least, still views himself as the number one guy for this backfield and still expects himself to be getting the volume he needs to meet that goal, at least as of right now. So, again, I've come down, I came down on Ott just a little bit after our talk last time. I think I'm going to go back up a little bit after kind of hearing some of these things here. But I'm not going back to where I was before the season. Again, obviously, still very big questions here. Again, it is Spadavol. <laughs> Hit the button. Nate, doesn't matter. Spadavol is the OC. Um, but that's kind of my my thoughts and kind of takeaways from some of the things we've been talking about with that RB room there, Nate. Your thoughts on that? Is, does it make you feel a little bit better about Ott? Does it give you an idea to maybe take a shot on him if the value yeah. is right? I got lots of thoughts. Okay. Okay, let's do it. Uh, are you ready for the the average the rb1's average stat line in the last four years in a jake spavadol offense are you ready for this is this all texas tech texas state texas state texas Tech. what am i talking about texas the four the four years where he was at texas state as the the lead the lead play caller there here we go 130 carries 626 yards four rushing touchdowns 21 receptions 142 yards 
no touchdowns receiving. That's the average RB1 stat line. Yes, this isn't Texas State. Yes, this is Jalen Jaden Ott, who's much more talented than anybody they had at Texas State. Um, but I, I do think that I do think that Byron Cardwell is going to play a big factor in this offense. Um, I think he's I think he's a pretty good running back. I, I found out that I think he was really upset at how the Oregon staff used him in the first two games last year, and he told them he's done. He's redshirting. He's not going to be used anymore. So that is why he redshirted last year, and that is why I he's figured. already here. He's already here for the spring because he was ready to move on. He was done with uh, with the new staff um, and and how they used him last year. So um, I, I do think he I do think he plays a role here. I thought it was interesting that his goal, Jaden Knott's goal, is a thousand yards. Like he had like nine hundred last year. That doesn't seem like much. <laughs> doesn't seem like much of an increase. Like usually you set like these big goals. You know, like hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna win a Heisman or I'm gonna go for fifteen hundred yards. No, I'm gonna get like like nine percent more rushing yards than I had last year. No, I think it's a very fair point. I think it's more of like he knows how close he was last year. He's like, all right, I got to hit that mark this year but again yeah. it, it clearly he thinks he's gonna get enough volume he, to get there he ain't hitting that mark this year he ain't coming close to hitting that mark this year all right well book it book it you heard it he's not he's not hitting that mark we will we will have to see but again uh my my attempt my attempts to bring nate back to the light on Jaden ott has <laughs> once again failed so we'll you, we'll you riled me up and i went the other direction yeah <laughs> Anyway, let's go talk about one more team here. Let's go talk about the Washington um, uh, Dogs, Huskies. Yes, there we go. Couldn't remember their mascot for a second there. Not really a ton to talk about here. Uh, it looks like, again, Penix is struggling a little bit, but it, it's all the names that you're kind of expecting for the most part. Jill McMillan, Roma Dunze, um, the transfer from Michigan State, Jeremy Bernard is making some uh, impact here early on. Jalil Polk also is kind of taking up a leadership role at least in terms of this locker room so it sounds like he's gonna have a pretty big part i think both bernard and polk are being currently undervalued in best balls again you see odunes ac mcmillan they go off in the second third round i think polk and bernard are both gonna have some pretty big games throughout the year again i don't want them in redraft because i have no clue what those games are going to be but if you take them in the third like the 25th 30th round of a best ball you're going to have probably some guys that give you some wide receiver two, wide receiver one weeks, potentially out of those two guys any given week. Because again, this, this offense is just that productive. I'm not worried about the reports that Penix seems to be struggling. We saw what he did during games last year. He'll probably get over it. There was reports that he was struggling in practice last year. Again, all he did was just go out and throw for 4,000 plus yards. I'm not worried about that whatsoever. Last thing I'll kind of bring up here. Just a name to truly file away. This is not a redraft guy whatsoever, but if this is probably going to be somebody that's going to be available at the end of a lot of your supplemental drafts. Tybo Rogers, three-star freshman running back. He has been called out by name in Kalen DeBoer as somebody that has been earning reps at the running back position. Again, they have an absolute logjam there at Washington, but we've seen Kalen DeBoer have some pretty good fantasy running backs in the past, guys like Ronnie Rivers, and so he's just somebody I might follow away. If he truly does continue imp to impress, you might be somebody that earns a huge role in the next coming years. So Nate, any thoughts you have on the Huskies? I've also been seeing uh, some of the, uh, some of the hype or at least discussions building around Jeremy Bernard. Um, so that's interesting that you brought him up and 
you know, you asked, should should we maybe be taking him and and maybe even Jalen Polk in best balls, at least at the end of them? I, I think that's that's a viable question. And I also think maybe we need to ask ourselves, are we too high on Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan? Like these are guys that are going, I, I assume, within the wide receiver, you know, kind of that wide receiver six to seven range. Um, so that seven and I, eight, seven, seven and, and eight, eight. Okay. Nate, you just come on, man. Like, <laughs> so, well, somebody's too high on Tez Walker. So, um, <laughs> there you go. That's, that's why they're seven and eight. Um, no, but I, uh, I think that, I, I think that it's going to be, I say it's going to be tough, but they led, they led the country in pass yards per game last year. So maybe it won't be tough for all four to be fantasy viable, but maybe there is a chance that Bernard and Polk actually do kind of chip away at some of the volume that those uh, that Adunze and McMillan are getting. And and maybe we are overdrafting them a little bit, but what are you going to do? It's, it's the two studs in the number one passing offense from last year. So I really can't blame you if you're taking them in the late first, second round. Yeah, I was gonna say they both had seventy plus catches, thousand plus yards last year. Yeah. It's it's a it's a little hard to sell it to people saying yeah. like, oh, they're 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 not gonna reach that mark again this year with another year under their belt. Yeah, um, yeah I I think it just be again to me Polk and Bernard they're probably going to be the guys that you're not gonna rely on them any given week. But just because of the way this Washington offense is, they're probably gonna have some pretty big weeks. So yeah, if somebody if one of those other two main guys gets dinged up then oh, yeah. i think we could probably expect a really big bump uh, at least in in for a short period from polk and bernard yes sir uh any other thoughts you have on washington you, um have you heard the stuff about tybo rogers as well or is that a name completely foreign to you no i it's it's a name that i had already filed away uh, it was one that i've heard them talking about in camp um but like you like you'd mentioned uh, you got Dylan Johnson coming in from Mississippi State there. Yep. Cam, Cam Davis, um, Newton, I think, is still around. Yeah, amazingly, that guy's still there. Um, so they got they they do have a logjam there running back. Uh, but at the same time, none of those guys are great. Nope. You know what I mean? That none of those guys are scary. That 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 if this if if Rogers, this true freshman, ends up continuing to show out that he can't be a factor this year. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm 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 with you. I've, I've been hearing some buzz. All righty. Well, I think that can bring us right here to the end of our show. Perfect timing, right at about an hour and a half. Uh, Nate, you have been incredible as always. Again, you kind of touched on the fact that Pac-12 coaching uh, article will be coming out here in the near future. Anything else you want to tease out there? I think the other one that's going to be coming out here in the next week or so will be the Sun Belt. I'm, yes, sir. I'm getting, I'm getting, getting close with uh, with that one. So yeah, got a couple more coming out here before too long. All righty. In terms of us over here at the CFF team, we'll have all of our initial rankings out for you guys on the 15th of March. So if you're listening to this on the 13th, pretty much on Wednesday, you should be seeing all of our initial rankings up and going. And with those rankings being released. We'll be having our annual CFF Ranking Summit here the next couple of weeks. If you did not catch that last year, it was one of the best shows, or it was a series of shows, it was two shows, that we had done the entire year. It is where four of us get on there. We talk about the top 
guys at each of the positions, but then we really get into it. We call each other out. We say, what are you doing? Why are you ranking this guy so low? Why are you ranking this guy so high? It's a ton of fun. So go check out last year's if you want to get the initial vibe of that. We'll be having that out in the next month here. So definitely be on the lookout for those announcements such as that. Really appreciate all of you guys listening. It has been a fantastic show. And I will see you, well, all of us, both of us. Why am I saying I? We will see you guys next time. Y'all have a wonderful and blessed day.